Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in in what part of the country? Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a wonderful show for you today. It's quite poignant and fascinating, actually. In this half hour of the show, we will be interviewing Yehuda Sherpin. He is on staff at Chabad.org. If you ever send a question to Chabad.org, it's usually a good chance that Yehuda Sherpin is going to be the one to answer it. We're going to be talking about guns and Judaism the second half of the show, we will be speaking about the portion of Nasso. It is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 6 and following. We have wonderful music scattered throughout the show, a dynamite Hasidic story all the way at the end. Before we can do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Dozens of protesters were arrested on the Temple Mount Jerusalem Day. No one was hurt. One Arab is dead and two injured during a raid in Jenin. Three Arabs threw firebombs at IDF soldiers in the West Bank. The soldiers fired on the three, injuring one. Swastikas were found on a bus stop opposite a synagogue in Silver Springs, Maryland. A walking trail in Ottawa was also defaced with swastikas. An 18-year-old was charged with a hate crime for attacking an elderly Jew who was walking to synagogue on Shabbos in New York City. This is one of those things, you know, just like spiting your face, right? Food maker General Mills closed its Pillsbury factory in the West Bank due to the BDS movement. Pillsbury, I mean General Mills, citing that they could no longer conduct business under such a business environment. As it happens, 880 Palestinians work at that plant, and they will now be unemployed. So much for supporting the Palestinians. Speaking of support, the shekel fell against the dollar. There are now three and a third shekels per dollar. It had been three, which is like, it makes things too difficult when the shekel's too good. So it's back to normal. And finally, this is one of those interesting things. Twin sisters gave birth to sons on the same day at Shari Thetic Hospital. Yay! The kids don't look alike. The sisters now both have two sons and two daughters. And that's the news. 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin, who is a scholar working for Chabad.org. Uh, if you've got a question that you wanted to send to Chabad.org and you hit the Ask the Rabbi, there's a good chance Rabbi Sherpin was the one who was going to be answering it. We're talking about guns and Judaism. How are you today, Rabbi Sherpin? Hello? Hi. Hi. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good, good to hear. Okay. So there has been a lot going on, and uh, it's been going on for a long time, and it's been bothering people. And there's a lot of stuff that's been making the news. Everybody's heard, of course, about Buffalo and in Texas. But just yesterday, there was a shooting in a cemetery in Wisconsin, and three people were injured. And it's just like, it's like happening all the time. Everybody now has guns on their minds. The president came out yesterday and uh, spoke on national television about the new ideas for guns, you know, gun control and these things, new laws. So it makes sense then, as with everything else, the premise is, is that if it exists in the world, it has to exist in Torah and Judaism. So we want to know, so what does Judaism have to say about guns, Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin? Basically, are yes or no, I mean, are, are gray or in the plane or both or, or neither? What about guns and Judaism? Okay, so we, we definitely find discussion in the Talmud, uh, both the concept and the debate about um, self-defense. We also find in the Talmud the idea of discussion about gun control. Uh, so they're both in the Talmud. Um, and we also find the people, the, the Jews coming out of Egypt, they're, they're, they're coming out with their arms. So, so we find everything in the Talmuds, basically, as, as always. But, it, but I, I think the starting point um, has to be stressed that the Talmud and the Torah starts from a different starting point than um, secular law, uh, which is in secular law, as in the United States, we have, you know, there's the right to bear arms. And in Judaism, we don't necessarily start from rights. Things are uh, more about responsibilities. Uh, there's no right to do anything, but you you may be responsible now. You may be responsible for self-defense. Uh, you may be responsible for society, what's going on in, in society as a whole, and responsible what you have to make sure it doesn't damage anyone or injure anyone. So the, the, the starting point and the premise of the question is different in Judaism than it is in uh, secular law. But we do have this whole discussion, but we're starting at a different at a different um, place. So I guess the first, the first question, I guess, before we get to gun control, is the question about people 
and you just interrupt me if you want to ask anything in the middle. Uh, I guess the first question would be starting about before we get to controlling the guns is about whether people should, if we look at it as something positive or negative of people owning guns. So we definitely find, um, you know, the Torah does have uh, the concept of, as we said, uh, self-defense. If someone's coming to, if someone is coming to, to if you think somebody might come and harm you, um, this the classic example in the Torah itself is that somebody tunneled into your house, and you and you, and you think that he might he's coming, he might kill you if you if you confront him. So you're allowed to go and kill him first. Uh, so we do have this concept of self-defense. We also have the concept that when when they, as I mentioned earlier, coming out of Egypt, um, they they um, they. They all went out, all of the Hamishim, they came out with their, their arms. But on the other hand, we find in the Talmud also... Let me, let me just inter- inject in the Yehuda. So there's another thing. It says, for example, there is, for the uninitiated, uh, Jews are Sabbath observance, and there's things that we do to keep the Sabbath, and we basically remove ourselves from the world. So one of the things we're not allowed to do is to carry outside. So there is a, is a discussion that a person, for example, would be allowed to wear a sword because a sword is yeah, considered well, that was my next, my next, an my ornament. Next thing I was getting there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so a sword is considered a sword, which is a dangerous. Like, they didn't have guns back when they were writing Talmud, but you could replace sword for whatever. And if you get like a fancy pistol and it looks like really cool on your hip, you could say, oh, that's just an ornament too. So we could we could take that stretch as much as we could with, say, a sword and a scabbard. Go ahead, Yehuda. Right. So, so I was going to say, we, so we have that discussion. So, so carrying, it's prohibited to carry in a public domain on the Sabbath. And the question, but you're allowed to wear clothing and ornaments. You are allowed to, you know, jewelry are allowed to, it's considered wearing it. So the question is, um, you know, in, this, in our case, it would be a gun. But in the question, the question of the Talmud would be about, uh, about a sword, a shield, a spear, different weapons. Um, so there's one opinion that it's an ornament. People wear it as an ornament. And we have that also, you know, they, 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 you know the truth is there's ornamental swords and there's non-ornamental swords. So... Uh, people would wear that. So there's one opinion in the Talmud, Rabbi Eliezer, um, in, in, that that yeah, it's an ornament. You're allowed to wear it on on the Sabbath. While the the, the majority opinion is that no, uh, weapons in general are actually uh, a a a negative thing. And where do we 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 have proof from this from the prophet Isaiah that he says that in, in the, all, the time of the, in the Messianic era, they'll beat the swords into plowshares. Uh, which means that they're going to get rid of their weapons. So that means that weapons are not a positive thing. So even though you may need a weapon for whatever reason, but it's not an ornament, it's not a positive thing. So not something that you're supposed to uh, brag about and wearing as you're wearing jewelry, and therefore you wouldn't be able to uh, carry it around. It wouldn't be considered clothing. Of course, in a, if it's a question of self-defense, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous place, and, you know, that's, that's a question uh, for, you know, someone would have to ask a rabbi if it's a real-life uh, question. Uh, there are places and situations that you would be, but on the default, you would not be because it's not considered an ornament. Uh-huh. So if it is, this has just popped into my head, is this question, and I know it's really probably, we would, we would probably call it a klutz question for those who know that thing, but meaning a question that, it's it's a question, but it's not really a question. So since the discussion is, is if a man is allowed to carry a sword on the Sabbath, and the discussion, yes, no, but for everybody agrees that women may not. So can we extrapolate then that women shouldn't be owning firearms? 
Rabbi Sherpin? Or is that too much of well, a stretch? No and yes. Well, I, I would say there's there's a whole body of discussion, especially how it pertains to to the Israeli army, because you know a lot of them are Jewish. Most of them are Jewish. So you know, there's a lot of discussion and about women also. Um, as well, but that would go to the question of: Are you having it as an ornament, or are you having it if you're actually having it for self-defense? And it's, there's a real life situation that you know, not just something that somebody thought up, but it's actually there to protect you for a real reason. Uh, it shouldn't make a difference whether you're a man or a woman. Um, now, if it's as an ornament, then yes, there, there's the whole discussion in the town. There's a, there is a discussion whether it's considered a clay gever. If it's uh, a man, there's, there's a question. There's a prohibition of of, of cross dressing. Um, so there is this discussion whether arms are considered a man's clothing, and then therefore a woman wouldn't be allowed to wear it. Uh, but again, you know, it, you know, depends where you come and you're asking a question from. If you're just talking about, but that would be in a regular day, also not a question about the Sabbath and then again, if, it, if it's because of self-defense, a real self-defense, so then it shouldn't make a difference. Okay. Our guest um, today is Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin. He is a scholar at Chabad.org. So if you want to get in touch with him, you go to Chabad.org and then look around over there. They only have like oh, probably about eight billion different pages at Chabad.org. It's a very good website. I recommend it. I use it probably every day. So, but Yehuda, so... Let's go back to responsibilities then. The idea of do we, does a person, should a person really own a gun? Because we see that, for example, there are all these things going on. And could we say that if in one of these school situations had a teacher had a gun, for example, which I'm not going to profess either way, that they would have been able to stop the shooter in a much quicker, faster manner then? So again, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't make any studies or anything, but um, we, we, we do find, okay, so, so let's, let's, maybe if we go from the question of, of gun control, um, you know, as, as we saw, there is the concept of people owning guns, um, then there's the concept, and we'll get to gun control, and then maybe we'll get back to that question, which is really a conclusion, should I have okay. one or not, which I don't know that I'm going to actually give a final answer, but. Well, um, we, we do find another discussion in, in, in the Talmud about owning, uh, if, if someone's allowed to breed a, 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 a dangerous dog, uh, which really means any, any dangerous animal, um, and, or, or, or owning your house a dangerous, but something that's dangerous. Um, so so it, it, the, the, the luck is that you're not allowed to have something dangerous in your house, or so you have to take precautions for it. Um, one classic thing is right. If you have the, there's there's a lot. If you have a flat roof and people go on the roof, so you, you need a you're you're obligated to build a fence around the roof, right? So you do have to whatever you're going to own, whatever dangerous thing you own, you have to take precautions. But getting to a, let's say a, a dangerous animal, there's there's actually opinions that even if you keep the animal chained up, you wouldn't be allowed to keep the dangerous animal, this dangerous dog, even if it's chained up. But at the same time, there's even those opinions that hold that you wouldn't be allowed to have them if it's even if it's chained up. They would hold that in, in a dangerous area, uh, you're on the border or whatever it is, uh, you would be allowed to say so having it for protection. So part of your question about whether you should or you shouldn't would really depend on specific situations and specific locales. 
And, you know, so every person would have to, or, you know, maybe with the help of a rabbi, evaluate their specific situation. Not just because I feel that it's like that, but someone has to actually objectively evaluate whether having it or not is a positive, um, is, 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 is a positive thing or not. But then there's, a, there's the, the question that we have about gun control. Um, and who, who are you allowed to sell a gun to? Right? Because most of the question that we're asking, you're, you're asking here is if can I own a gun or not? If the person is asking that question, so that really means that he's probably a responsible person to some degree, because if not, he wouldn't ask the question. He would just go do whatever he wants. So our, our main question here is not really about a private citizen. Should I go own a gun or not? Because that's not really the one who I'm concerned about. We're concerned about more the person who's not going to ask me whether I, he should buy a gun, but whether the person's coming to buy and can I go and sell him one, uh, a gun? And I don't know who he is. So we do find in, 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 in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, the Talmud discusses it, that you're not allowed to uh, sell uh, weapons, and not just weapons, accessories for weapons, um, anything that you would make, uh, let's say, metal that you would use to, that is used to make weapons, uh, you're not allowed to sell it to a, someone that may have the intent to, do, uh, to cause harm. In, in the in Talmudic era, so there, the concern was it says that you can't sell it to, to non-Jews. They're not, they, they were the non-Jews were the ones, uh, the Romans, um, they, they controlled um, Israel then, and, um, and 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 at that time they were the ones. They they. I mean, we have met plenty of stories in the Talmud of them using weapons to kill people, and therefore it says you're not allowed to sell it to them. Okay, so let me um, let me, jump, let me not, jump in. Let me jump in you then. So let's let's really push that up now to 2022. So if I am a gun dealer, then according to that, what would make sense, it seems like Judaism, which Judaism usually makes the most amount of sense, that's really what the bottom line is. When it talks about Jewish law, it's usually, well, what makes the most amount of sense? So therefore, there would be a prohibition of providing a gun or any type of implement of destruction to someone who has a proclivity or an intention to cause harm to others or to themselves. If I think that this person is going to use this device to kill themselves, I'm not allowed to give them that to them. Would that be correct? That, w- that would be correct. Um, so then, That would be correct. So then we have, oh, the, no. I mean, I don't know why it's such a big debate over here in this country and why it became so politicized. It doesn't seem to be a big thing in other countries about this idea of background well, checks. Because, you know, it's like. Right. Well, because that's, that goes back to our, our, what I started off with, that the, the Talmud is starting from a different premise than it's starting off in, 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 the, in the American law starts off with the premise of, of the right to bear arms. So it's starting off from a different premise while from, from, Jewish law is starting off the premise of responsibilities, even if you're, you should have one. And the fact is, like the Talmud, as it's, you know, I mentioned, it says that you shouldn't sell it to non-Jews. And the, but then the Talmud says, you know, the Persians, you were allowed it. So you guys didn't want the difference, you know, the Persians. Because the Persians, that was the, the government in, in Babylonia, where the Talmud was, was, was compiled. Um, so said there, you're selling it to the government, and the government use it for protection, uh, to protect the citizens, and so on. So there, then you are allowed to sell it. Um, so in other words, but it's coming from a different, it's a coming from a different angle. So therefore it's a, you know, in, in the Talmud, it's not, it's not, a, it's not even a question, but over, in American law, uh, it would be. And I, and I would point out that the Talmud actually goes on and says that you can't sell it to a, 
um, let's say, a, a bandit, a Jewish bandit, it actually says you can't sell it. And as the as the Talmud and the commentaries point out, it's not only that he is that we're scared that he has a past. He doesn't necessarily have to have had a violent past, but we are scared since he is a bandit that ultimately he's going to use it either to evade the law or something like that, even though he may not kill anyone with it, uh, and so on. So you wouldn't be allowed to sell it to him. So that that is pretty clear cut in the Talmud and the Mishnah. Um, that you can't sell it to someone that would have the intent to do harm. But but the question becomes, and that comes back to the, the debate of the, the gun control debate, so how far do I need to go to ascertain that the person is not dangerous? Um, which is which is a, which is a, which is a, another question. And and why am why am I not allowed to uh, sell it to someone who's dangerous? There's there's a discussion on that. Is it a standalone? Prohibition that you can't stand, you can't sell it to someone who may use it for for uh, ne- a negative intent. Uh, I'm using negative intent as opposed to killing because it's, we're not just concerned about killing people. We're concerned about anything that is going to be used, uh, threatening people, evading the law, and so on. That that's also something. Um, or is it a pro- part of the prohibition? There's a prohibition of lifne ever, uh, which means, but basically that you can't make. Put a stumbling block for someone. You can't help out someone do something that is prohibited. That's something wrong. So even though I'm not the one doing it, but since I'm the accessory, I'm the one who helped them out. So I also bear a responsibility. And if if that would be the the basis for the prohibition, so there's a general rule that you, I'm only held culpable. I'm only responsible if the person didn't have any other way to carry out their transgression with either without me having helped help them so maybe if i could you know i could i'm not going to sell a gun someone else would sell a gun so maybe i'm not really responsible uh, if that is the underpinnings of this prohibition um but uh so, so there's this debate and and and, and it, many commentaries are of the opinion that it's really both. There's there's a standalone prohibition, an enactment that you can't sell a dangerous thing, and then there's this also an accessory. But it has to be stressed or pointed out that the other commentaries point out that the this prohibition of becoming an accessory, and we say that it doesn't apply if someone if the person could do it a, a different way. That has to do. With the tra- if the transgression is something I'm holding back the person from transgressing. Uh, for example, uh, you know, there's different foods, you know, prohibited foods, non-kosher foods, wh- whatever it is, um, and I'm helping the guy transgress whatever it is. So without me helping him, he would go and buy it from some. He would do something else. He would be able to do this transgress in a different way. So I'm not held responsible. But over here, our concern isn't about him doing. A transgressional prohibition. Our concern over here is the effect of whatever prohibition he does. Um, we don't want him to go kill someone, right? So there, it, even if he could go, have maybe could have done it, gotten it somewhere else. But I may still be responsible, and we won't say uh, or whenever there's the double. If it's too removed from me, in other words, or he could have done it, got it a different way. We don't say that I'm not held responsible. I am because. At the end of the day, I have some connection to the the outcome, 
and it's not we're, we're not that we're concerned about him not transgressing, but we're also concerned about the outcome. While other transgressions, we're more concerned about the person transgressing, not so much the outcome. Okay. So it would seem that here, to, either way you look at it, um, you are responsible. Okay, our guest today again is Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin. He is a scholar at Chabad.org and can be reached there if you have any questions directly for him. So, so an interesting statistic. I don't know how statistics are always good. I had an eighth grade history teacher who said, if you want to convince anybody that anything is true, just put a number next to it. And everybody go, Ooh, yeah. So I heard, I saw this statistic that only about 13% of American Jews own guns. Now I have no idea how that they could possibly um, come up with a, such a number like that. Cause no one ever asked me if I have a gun or not, and I'm not telling, but uh, the idea it seems, and, and and saying that of all the groups involved in the gun groups per se, that Jews have the lowest amount of representation per per capita, and uh, I'm reminded of a response from the noted Yehuda, where someone says that they inherited lots of land and there's lots of animals and they want to go hunting, and it's a very long response. How the noted Yehuda says that uh, it's he really concludes that it's okay for Jews to go hunting, even though you can't eat the meat because it has to be slaughtered, etc. But then he says in the last line, but he says, oh, Jews don't hunt. That's for like Esau. Esau, it says, was a hunter. Esau was a hunter. Jacob sat in tents. He learned. That's where we're supposed to be doing it. So is it then a Jewish thing to have a gun, Yehuda Sherpin? Okay, so okay, I, I don't, I, I don't like giving a, a, I'm not the spokesman for what is. It, it, I, I would say like this, it, it would seem based on that, uh, uh, that the response of Noli Huda, which is uh, I believe in Yoridas and Yud, um, that um, that it's not a Jewish. In other words, if if hunting itself is not considered a, a, a Jew, a proper Jewish thing. So owning a gun now it would depend on really why you're owning a gun. If it's you're owning it for self-defense, defense, or protection, security, so then it's not really a question about a Jewish thing or not. It's, you're, you're having it for a reason. Now again, we said it might be a discussion whether you need it or you don't, but that's something that needs to be evaluated, uh, you know, uh, based on this specific situation. But if you're owning it, um, just collecting guns. Um, so that would seem to fall into the same to the same category as 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 hunting in general, um, which you may be permitted. Obviously, we said that you have to take the precaution, just like you have to build a, uh, a gate around your roof. You have to take precautions, whatever dangerous uh, weapons or items you have in your house. So it may be permitted, but it wouldn't seem to be. The, the the Jewish thing to collect weapons, as we said, if if, if using the weapons are considered something that uh, our 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 cousins, the descendants of Asa, they are the ones who who do it. But it's not our thing, so the weapons would seem to be the same thing. But again, it depends why you have it. Okay, so there's a big question then about what about like semi-automatic assault ref- weapons that all these dastardly deeds that have been perpetrated over the last while have been uh, perpet- or have been affected through like AR-40, uh, AR-7s or AK-47s in the past when they could get them. Could we then use, say, okay, so I'm a Jewish 
gun enthusiast. And the reason why I want to have a gun is because I want to protect myself. I want to engage in self-defense, like you said, which, which is a permissible and noble thing. So then I could put into my mind, well, then I should be able to have, get myself an AR-7, if not even a, a machine gun or, a, uh, or even a bazooka or a tank, if it's for self-defense. Well, I'm not really going to get into every specific uh, weapon, but I, I think really um, it has to be evaluated objectively. What is what is what is needed for what do you, what do you actually need for self defense, and what is it that you're just uh, you have a, you know you feel like that you would like to have, and you're using self. In other words, is self defense the real reason you want it, or is it just a secondary? A question, and sometimes we're biased to ourselves, and that's why we many times say that you have to, you know, you should speak to a rabbi, uh, because people are biased. Uh, everyone's biased uh, in one way or another, and that's why you need sometimes somebody to look at look at it objectively. And you know, you, you live in this neighborhood, you know, nobody's coming with a tank. You don't need a tank, uh, but maybe if you live, I don't know, maybe if you live, uh, unfortunately, you know, if you live in Afghanistan, tank, you might need a tank. Afghanistan, yes. or, right? So you know. So it's really not a question that you could answer, in, you know, across the board. But it, and you, but you have to look at it objectively, not not lie to yourself that oh, I need this. Um, the same thing, you know, security. There's a question. I know when there was when there was um, a lot of um, incidents in Jewish in Jewish houses of worship, right? And so there's a question about carrying guns on the Sabbath, right? Um, so we said the halacha the is that it's not an ornament, so you're not allowed to carry it. Um, but then the question is, do I need it for, maybe I need it for security purposes. So that's really something that needs to be evaluated. If you know, if you need it for security purposes, if there's a real threat, a real present threat, not a theoretical threat, that's, that's the key. That's not, it, it, when, when we evaluate these things, it's not about a theoretical threat, it's about a clear and present uh, threat. Um, so you have to evaluate if there's a, a true threat and where you are. So then maybe you would be able to. Interesting. So, and, 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 and with all these instances where it was just like a surprise, you could always say, well, every one of those, no one expected in any of those places, uh, in that cemetery in Wisconsin yesterday, nobody expected to get shot. So it seems, it seems like it could go as with everything else in Judaism, it could go, uh, either way, both ways and neither way. Would that, right. Yes. But but we are responsible. At the end of the day, regardless of what what what, what the answer is, even if you have it, you're responsible to protect it and 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 uh, make sure nothing happens with it. Okay, that is going to do it. I think for us today, we want to thank you so much. Our guest today has been Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin. He is a scholar at. Chabad.org and is reachable, I think, probably at Sherpin at S-H-U-R-P-I-N, Sherpin at Chabad.org. If you have any questions that you'd like to pose to the rabbi directly about this or any other topic that seems to uh, to be fancy, tickling your fancy, that's what he does. And we thank you so much for taking out the time and wish you only good things, Rabbi Yehuda. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you. We're going to take a quick commercial break and be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. 
That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Shulfinman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Up for your listening pleasure, this is Yaakov Shweki, and the song is called L'chaim, To Life. Yaakov Shweki, L'chaim. Up next, this is, this is the Klezmer set. It's been a bunch of weeks because of the acapella. We haven't played any Klezmer. So this is a brand new group, brand new song. It's the Krakow 
klezmer band, which is interesting that Krakow, Poland now has a presence enough to have a klezmer band. This song is called Karawania, which I'm not exactly sure in Polish what Karawania means. It's kind of, if it was transliterating in one of those universal worlds might mean caravan, but I don't speak Polish. So let's just listen. It's a great song. epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox 
help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Schulman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We've got time for one more. And it just so happens to be, this is Mordechai Shapiro. The song is Borchinashi, Bless My Soul. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? 
At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Shulfidman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week in the synagogue, people will be reading the portion of Nasai. And I was told I should make a disclaimer that with now, with the new situation, the technology, so it used to be that the show was put up on Sundays, but now we don't put it up on Sundays, now we put it up on Fridays. So if you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, if you're not Jewish, then this is referring to next week, and that's the way it's always going to be from now on. So in the portion of the week, which will be read on uh, Saturday, the portion of Nasai, it's there's many things to talk about, and Nasai, because last week's portion had to be read before Shavuos, so it comes out kind of automatically that the next one is going to be read afterwards. So if it's always read afterwards, so the word the expression is Shabbos is mekayish If there's anything you didn't do during the week, you can finish it on Shabbos. You're talking about like spiritual things, something you didn't learn, something uh, you wanted to dive in a little bit better, that type of stuff that you can do on Shabbos. So whatever shvuist thing you didn't do, you didn't eat enough cheesecake, you could have a piece of cheesecake on Shabbos. That's fine. Shabbos morning before you go to shul. My pleasure. So everything has to relate back to the, to the holiday then. So in this store, in the shvuist, in, in Nasai, there is a section, I believe it's chapter 9, that talks about a suspect adulterous woman and the process that she must go through. She's not, she's not been accused of adultery. If there was that accusation, there would be a court case and we'd find out if she did and we'd have witnesses. And this, is, this is just... Her, something happened in her husband between her and her husband, and her husband says, "You know, I think you're hanging around with the wrong guy. I don't want you to be secluded with such and such a person." And then someone comes and says, "We saw that your wife was secluded with such and such a person." So then the process go look it up over there that how it goes all about. There was a whole thing that was done in Jerusalem to maintain her, ascertain her innocence. Why is this here now? So it says very simple. This is easy. You don't have to be a rocket scientist for this one. It says that Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, is called the marriage between the Jewish people and the Almighty. And here it is, like what happened like uh, immediately after. We know that the Jews worship the golden calf. So if you're going to say that God is the groom, so then any other God would be considered like uh, an adulterous affair. 
That's what it's considered. This is one of the reasons why Moses actually broke the tablets is because the tablets were sort of like the marriage contract. And Moses broke it, said, no contract, no marriage, da-da-da. You got to let him go. The analogy does fit. So here it is. The Jewish people are, we're married to Hashem. The... The the Sota was not something that happened very often, and it says it discusses in the Gemara that the Talmud tractates Sota that says that when it suddenly became prevalent during Roman times that women were suspect of uh, such practices, that they stopped doing it because it wasn't helping. What do you mean it wasn't helping? It's there to determine a woman's innocence. No, that's not what it's about. It's not, we're not, God's not punitive. God's saying, we don't want you to be involved with such things. What does God want us to be? God wants us to be monotheistic. God wants us to be in a monogamous relationship. So our monogamous relationship with the Almighty is also tantamount then. And we're told, listen, okay, there should be consequences, but we're also told what happens if a woman went through the process and found that she was not guilty. So it says... If she had trouble, if she'd have kids, she'd now have kids. If she had trouble in labor, she now didn't have trouble in labor. If she had weak kids, she'd have healthy kids. So there was a there was a good process. It says that uh, Hannah, at the beginning of the book of Samuel, was prepared. She wanted to have kids in the worst way, and she was prepared to go seclude herself with another person in order that she should get warned, in order that she should go through the process and then be found innocent and then be able to have a kid. She finally decided, no, nah, it's, it's, I'm not going to do that. But what are we supposed to do? What we're supposed to do is we just came from Shavuos. We just accepted the Torah. It's God gave us a gift, and it's called my precious gift. We're entrusted with it. It's like the most valuable thing that exists in creation is this which was just given to us. So, of course, we have to keep it. We have to take care of it. We have to make sure that it gets, uh, you know, water it and, and take out the weeds and whatnot, whatever analogy you'd like to, to use. That's, that's really what this whole thing's all about. Speaking of about, we have to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back with the Hasidic story. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Fidman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? You got a question? Today's today's topic was uh, interview was very provocative. I know there are Jews that just like absolutely 100 percent NRA members, and there are Jews who are so anti, and it's like how could you even think? And it's not it. So it's like, and then you have the moderates in between. So. It's, I understand it could, could become quite contentious, a discussion. And if you'd like to discuss it further, I'm open to it. Send me a letter. 
Um, this is week is uh, we're just getting out of Shavuos, so it's going to take me some time to catch up with that. So, uh, but I'm more than happy to engage. I actually prepared a similar talk back in the uh, early 1990s. I used to do lunch and learns around the town, and one of the things that came up was Second uh, Second Amendment and Judaism. So. Uh, I'm up on it. So ask me a question. That's fine. That's what I'm here for. Uh, I'm here to make Judaism interesting, educational, and fun. That's that's what we do here. And to do that, of course, it takes money. And the Jewish hour costs. We have to pay to play, as the case goes. And you've been listening now. You've been listening for 51 minutes now. So go to the go to the donations page of RabbiFinman.com and make a donation. Help keep this radio show for 28 years. It's like the longest running Jewish radio program in in Michigan ever. 28 years, and uh, we only can do it because of the generosity of yourself. For example, you haven't done it yet. No, nope. we'll we'll be forgiving on that. Make it a small donation. Make it a 5 or $10 a month donation and make it monthly. You could do that. And that way it's just, you don't even have to think about it. Bada bing, bada boom. You benefit, we benefit, every, everybody listening benefits. So go do that today. Don't like internet giving? Well, as our good buddy, Mr. Specs Howard, he should live long and be healthy, suggests send your donation in any amount to the Jewish Hour. 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. The first Lubavitcher Rebbe had a quite a, a um, I wouldn't even know what kind of adjective, erudite scholar of a student. He was actually, I believe, the chief rabbi of the city of Vilna, which that's not small. He lived at the time of the Vilna Goyen. The Vilna Goyen was the, the genius of Vilna, and everybody knows about the Vilna Goyen, but he wasn't the rabbi of the town because that involved community matters and people bothering him with questions. He, the Vilna Goyen couldn't be bothered with that. He was until just sitting and learning. So as Meyer foils, he was intrigued and eventually became an ardent follower and scholar of the, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe known as the Alter Rebbe. So it once happened, he was traveling to Lyajna to visit the Alter Rebbe. And he realized that his tzitzis was broken. The tzitzis are the little fringes that are worn on the corners of a garment. And if you notice any religious Jews, and you have these white strings hanging out of their pants. That's what we're talking about. And it's coming up um, in the portion of Shlach, which is a couple weeks where it says you should put them on corners of your fringes on the corner of your garment. And he told the wagon driver, stop. I'm going to wait here. You cannot move because I'm not allowed to walk six feet without having the tzitzis. So they sat and they waited and they waited and it was getting dark already. And finally they saw somebody coming in a wagon. They, they flagged him down and he said, do you have any tzitzis strings? I need strings. He says, yeah, I do, but I couldn't be bothered for a bunch of strings just, you know, to go to empty out. I have to empty up my whole wagon to find them. It's not my with my time. I want to get home before it gets dark. The guy said, I'll pay you this much for it. And he said, that's nothing. It's not worth my time. He says, so I'll pay you all the money that I have. So the guy said, okay. So he stopped. He unloaded the wagon. He pulled out a couple of packs. He found, uh, finally found the strings, and he gave them to this mayor of foils, who then put the new strings onto his garment, and they all went happily on their way. 
The next day, the mayor of Foyles was called into the office of the Rebbe, which is an unusual thing. Usually, you have to ask, uh, you know, if they request an appointment like this. As soon as he walked in, the Alter Rebbe placed a bag of money on the desk for him and said, This is for you. And it was the exact amount that Mayor Foyles had paid this merchant for these strings. And he said that you should know that you were being tested. And that merchant was the prophet Elijah. I guess his mayor Foyles was a somebody. And the Almighty wanted to see, because it had been up in heaven, there was a report that Mayor Refoyles is very careful about doing mitzvahs. And money doesn't mean anything in the cost of a, in the performance of a mitzvah. So he says you passed. Speaking of passing, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. That's what's going to do it for us for this week. We want to hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Zither Harp